Thank you so much for joining me for episode 8 of the Shortest Speaks With podcast. I hope everyone is well. And this week I am joined by game developer Georg Hubmeier of Kausa Creations. Now this interview, this interview, this conversation, I initially uploaded for my Adventure Games podcast, but we also talk about topics that would interest a uh, general audience, I believe. Um, we speak mainly about uh, Georg's game Pat Out, which is an autobiographical adventure game where players replay the journey of Abdullah Karam, a young Syrian artist who escaped the civil war in 2014. So this game is full of surprises, challenges and paradoxical humour and it gives insight in this real life adventure on which Abdullah comments through YouTube style videos in the game. Now, having played the game myself, I can safely say that just about anybody can enjoy this and uh, also it does give some insight into what it was like to escape the civil war in Syria in 2014 but as uh, Georg mentions in a humorous way that uh, Abdullah was also involved in as well. So even if you're not interested in video games, I still recommend that you listen to this interview first and try out the game for free on uh, online as well. I'll include links in the show notes. So uh, with that, please enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm joined by George Hubmeyer. I hope I got that right. Yes. <laughs> Almost flawless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, apologies for my German, but thank you so much for joining me today, George. Now, Thanks for inviting start, me. No worries, it's my pleasure. So to start off with then, you'd you mind giving us a brief introduction about yourself and letting us know if you have one, what is your favorite adventure game or favorite adventure games? So, yeah, uh, my name is Georg Hofmeier, as already stated. I'm artist and game developer a game designer to be more precise from austria i have a bit of a weird cv because i i, I was originally trained to work in the theater as an actor and director and choreographer and i worked a lot with technologies and so i ended up making computer games at one point because it just was more interesting as a storytelling medium and the secret in this whole weird cv is that my actual uh, storytelling background is pen and paper games so since I think I was like I started playing pen and paper games when I was five years old, and played it for like fifteen years, and then I went to the theater, and then when I went into games, I I started that again. So basically, my connection to games is very much through the medium of pen and paper. So you mean like Dungeons and Dragons or uh, yeah, or? Dungeons and Dragons or the uh, German versions that were around at the time. Curiously enough, we didn't have so much Dungeons and Dragons. We had a lot of Shadow Run, and we had a lot of a game called Das Schwarze Auge, which was okay. kind of the, the big thing in that region. So basically, I did play, being born in the year 1977, I was kind of exposed to the golden age of, uh, you know, like Zack McCracken, Maniac Mansion, and of course, uh, Monkey Island. But that was a bit of a sideshow almost to me at that point, because yeah, storytelling for me was always crafting an experience for players sitting around on the table. Okay, yeah. So that was your introduction then to yeah. The so games. basically, yeah. That, that's how I went into games. It's just like sitting around at the table with people and giving them an experience over an evening, and then putting that together into like a like a, a, a bigger a bigger story that might last over I don't know weeks and. Some stories that we played almost years. Yeah, so like, and, and, and 
I myself, I'm not really like a like a total fan of like very very classical adventure games. Uh, I like really really strange experiences, uh, one might say. So uh, if if I would think of like one of one of my favorite games in the last years, and I think it's it's even debatable if if it could be called an adventure game, but it's it's the game uh, uh, the beginner's guide by uh, Davy Redden who made Stanley Parable so oh okay I've heard of Stanley Parable but I haven't yeah. heard of a beginner's guide maybe I should have but uh, yeah, what's, the, what's the game about if, for those like me who haven't heard about it it's kind of hard to describe it's it, it's a narrative game it's a narrative experience and it's basically uh, it tells the story of a person so, so basically you're struggling from a first person perspective going through the oeuvre of a person that was creating games or game-like experiences, but then had a hard time with the result of having made these experiences. But uh, all this information is being brought to you by a narrator. But the, so there's, there's like there's like very, very ambiguous relationship between the narrator and the environment that you're moving through. So there's a lot of environmental storytelling, which I find very, very, very interesting. This is kind of interesting how this new genre of walking simulators kind of reinvented really storytelling in a way. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like, like the beginner's guide is extremely hard to describe. So, uh, okay, I can well, say, uh, give it a try. Okay. Yeah. I'll include a link in the show notes and, yep. and on the website, adventuregamespodcast.com and people can check it out. Like me, as I said, I still haven't seen it, but I'm very curious now. Yeah. Uh, after. What he said. So, uh, thank you for that. So, you created then a company, Kosa Creations. Uh, is that correct? Or you yes, work? Yes. Yeah. So, t- tell us um, when when did you set up the this company, and wh- when did you decide that you wanted to make games, maybe full time, or? So that that happened in around 2013, 2014. Um, we kind of uh, took the decision that we just don't want to do like a game-based art and kind of some small projects on the side, but we really wanted to work with games in a more commercial way as well. And we wanted to make games that would also kind of function on the, at that time, already quite crowded indie market. And basically from day one, there was always work for us to do. We never focused on like the one big project. We kept that was keep us busy for six years, and uh, I have friends who went down that path. So I, I wanted to make as many games as possible in a, in, in a short while, also to make the necessary mistakes, so that I could basically uh, kind of also grow as a as a game developer since I was to at least to the digital realm quite new. So basically, like we we founded Causa Creations, started working games for uh, making games for NGOs, for museums. Lately, also theaters. So it's a lot of collaborations with people working on uh, particular topics. Yeah, and we almost never worked on games with purely uh, fictional fantasy or, or, or sci-fi settings. So all, so all your games are based on real events then? Or? Yes, almost okay. all of our games. Like uh, I did some uh, work for higher jobs for other games like the card strategy game, Nowhere Profit, but most of our work has a political angle, has a historical angle, and has a kind of a documentary angle of a sort. Because I, I think it's, first of all, it's very, very interesting 
And secondly, I also think it's not too stupid from a business perspective because there is already like a thousand platformer games that are modeled after Metroidvania. And <laughs> I'm not even True. good in making platformer level design and I don't even like them. So uh, we, we just try to make something really special and we try to make a lot of it and see how, how it revibrates with, uh, with audiences and with players. And uh, so that was basically our strategy and it has been working quite well. No world success uh, so far yet, but we pay our bills and we can make interesting projects. And that's already like a a very, very, very good uh, intermediate goal we have achieved with Casa Creations. Okay, so that that's good. Yeah, so the games are they have a political historical slant. And you, you mentioned as well that uh, it was because there were already like a lot of platforming games. And you yourself are obviously interested in you know documentaries or historical stories. And mm-hmm. so that would that be one reason why you decide to make games based on these uh, topics? So yeah, I mean this is it's almost a bit hard hard to how to say like how we came to make this this particular kind of games. I must, I must also admit at that point there wasn't too much of a strategical angle that we said like, okay, in this year we're going to make this kind of game, then we're going to make this kind of game. It's more of a case-to-case experiment. Sure, uh, sure. So we're really trying things out, like, okay, how can we work with the integration of video commentary, for example, in Pathout? Let's try yes. that. Let's let's see how that works. I mean, in a way, we are quite lucky because basically we are we are being paid to make experimental game design uh, and that's a that's a very very lucky position to be in uh, in this uh, world and age that can experiment with different forms of narration work on themes and topics that are really interesting and uh, have money from that at the same time yes no exactly I mean, we'll talk more about paths out uh, shortly that's one of the things that i noticed is how original it was uh, you mm-hmm. know say experimental and uh, which actually worked, I think, in that game. So how many people are in the company currently in Casa Creations? So basically, we have two parts of the business. Uh, the original company is still sitting in Germany, and we are now basically running a, 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 a brother or sister company to that uh, from Vienna. And we are... Uh, there's like a core team of two owners of the original company, and we are relaunching now the the Austrian part of the company with more people. So that's kind of still in the making. So I would say we have kind of a handful of four or five people in the core team. And then there is kind of a a small ecosystem of uh, people that we regularly uh, work with. We have uh, people that work with us on audio. We have some people that are specialized in particular interactive interactive videos and trailers. And basically, we are uh, our ecosystem that we are also inhabiting is very much connected to the Viennese game design scene and game development scene. So there's a, there's overlap with other smaller companies there as well. So, but yeah, basically, to cut it short, is it four to five people, and then the same amount of people uh, associated to the company as freelancers. Okay, thanks for that. So you've made a few games then. I was just going through some of the games. They all look very interesting and they're different types of games. I saw you made some text adventures and a puzzle game and some yeah. RPGs as well. And the story <laughs> looked interesting. Um, so as one of you want to talk about one of the games, maybe. First of all, I saw that there are two games. That, now, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. 
But there's mm-hmm. a game, Bo- Burned Boards, which is a puzzle game, and then yeah. there's a text adventure, Where Phones Go, that were they oh, yeah. kind of similar? Are they kind of together in a way, or did I read wrong? No, no, they are, they are very, very much connected because both address electronic waste. Burner Boards is basically a research project that we did together with an NGO in Berlin and a university in Vienna. And we tried to, to make a game that tells the story of uh, electronic waste being recycled in India. And we didn't want to make an adventure game, but we wanted to work with a game that had a mechanic and a simulation aspect. And then parallel to that, uh, there was almost like a bit of a side project. I basically wanted to learn uh, a language called Twine, uh, basically like a text adventure engine. And I had so many information about electronic waste recycling. And so I I just wrote a, basically an interactive story about an old phone's travel from London to uh, Ghana uh, to the e-waste recycling yards there. It's basically like a small side project to burn the boards, which was a, a bit of a bigger project uh, that we worked on in 2015. Okay, no, that sounds interesting. And so again, you mentioned that uh, tickets to electronic waste. So mm-hmm. how, how did how did this story, how did this game then originally come about? Why did you decide to make this this game about this topic? I'm interested in politically, but also social level, and in this case, also environmental topics that are kind of hidden and under the surface. I mean, actually, there there is also another game uh, that, that talks about these things. It's a phone story by Mall Industria. But I wanted to make something that is a little bit more deeper, you know, that, that grasp, grasp uh, that kind of people can play for a longer time and kind of engages them. So the idea was to make a game that can have the addiction and the, the feeling of a puzzle game that you want to play it again and again and again. Then it talks about a serious topic at the same time. That said, still a project from the early days of my game development career. So there is plenty of flaws and mistakes in the project. But I think it was a valiant effort, nevertheless. Yeah, I'm sure it's where you got, got to start, at least, then, is where you started, which I would say, learning, you know, your craft. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is, this is really, really important. Uh, if, if you want to make games, you just have to make it and then you have to publish it and even if it's a small project and even if it's a failure you have to get stuff out there i think the worst thing you can do and i it kind of breaks my heart that it that happened to a couple of colleagues of mine is you become trapped in a project that becomes a labyrinth in itself and then you can never bring it out and then it basically buries you under it and this is something being exposed to actually two f- friends of mine who struggled with that and then eventually didn't publish their projects, mm. I really, really wanted to avoid that. So I might have pushed projects out that weren't good, that might have like some flaws. Burn the boards had a few terrible flaws. It had like uh, aspects were really, really nice. Some functions, some didn't. But I think it's very important to make mistakes and to have the full cycle of game development in order to grow as a developer. Yeah, I think many people will agree with you. And if we look back, nearly all developers, you know how, if we look back, even LucasArts and Sierra, their very first games, I'm sure people might say, oh, they're not as good as their later games. Yeah. And I think that's nearly with with everybody. So you got something out there, you're developing your craft and developing your skills. So that's, I think that's an achievement by itself. So uh, we wouldn't have had your later games without it. Okay, Okay, yeah. And... 
And then moving on, you also made another text adventure, I believe. Is it In My Garden? Is that the name? Oh, yeah, In My Garden. That was a very brief project. That was basically my first Ludum there, like a 48-hour game jam. And yeah, that was basically me sitting down and trying to make a game by myself. Or like a, an, I was told, emotional ex- narrative experience in 48 hours. So uh, one of my smallest projects, I think possibly the smallest project that I have done in the last years, but uh, I was told that it's it's still emotional. And I think this is this is curious, and this is this is also the the, the power of adventures and the power also of text adventures. If if you take the medium text, I mean, it's, and it's it's one of the most ancient uh, mediums on the planet, and also kind of uh, far explored. Text can do an incredible has an incredible power if taken seriously, and we are very very lucky that uh, in the recent years, digital games have finally re- remembered that, and we are kind of coming back to to a point where we understand okay text is important story is important storytelling is important is not just about fancy 3d graphics yeah exactly i, th- I think we've kind of moved on we went from you know 2d and then the late 90s and 2000s it was in 3d and the graphics got mm. more better and better but now it's i mean graphics are still very good in you know triple a games but now we're going back as you mentioned, to text adventure games, and again, we can use our imaginations more with, with text yeah. games, which yeah. you know, which is what I really love about them as well. What is the story about uh, in the garden? Then uh, we can talk about that. Well, uh, without spoiling anything, or if you don't want to spoil anything, of <laughs> yeah, course, okay, that's, that's, that's actually <laughs> like there, there, there's a couple of spoilers. Well, basically, it, it talks about uh, the life of a person, and it takes very, very brief snapshots. But really talking about the entire life of a person told through five snapshots. And then in the middle of the game, the story changes completely and talks about their retirement and the, let would say like the last, the last months or maybe years. I don't want to be too precise about it. And then there's a couple of really, really important decisions to be taken here. And then there's a bra, there's, there's, there's different endings. So depending on how you, how you choose to live, Maybe the last moments of your life, you will have a drastically different experience. Okay, that sounds very interesting. I look forward to trying it out. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really really small thing, and it just takes fifteen minutes. But uh, yeah, consider it like a tiny short story. Okay, no, definitely something you could do like at the weekend or waiting for something. No, looking exactly. This looking is, forward this to is, it. This is for like for even like a short commute, something yes. you finish briefly. Okay. Thank you for that. And then before we talk about Path Out, it was another game that caught my eye. I didn't read a huge amount about it. It's, from what I saw, it's not exactly an adventure game. It's more mm-hmm. an RPG. I think Totem Sound, oh, which, yes. sound, which yeah. sounded very interesting. Uh, yeah, what yeah, can you tell us about that? Uh, Totem Sound is curious because it, it's, it's, it was basically a commercial project. We got approached by a museum in Berlin and they, they basically had like a shitload of money to experiment with new forms of storytelling and representation and whatnot in museums. So basically they had all these laboratories that they set up or laboratory stages. And we were part of a laboratory that looked at their collection of artifacts from the American Northwest as collected by a Norwegian whaler in 1881. And uh, this guy, he, he wrote a big pretty uninteresting book about it and we were given this book and was like so please make a game about this 
actually wasn't really like this. There, there was like a pitch phase and we had a kind of a, a concept that involved making a digital game and some augmented reality experiments. And basically they gave us money for to making this short game. So yeah, basically Totem Sound is a one hour game that gives you like a fragment out of this journey of Johan Adrian Jacobsen through the American Northwest. And it's in kind of an action adventure. You go around. I mean, this guy was a very, very outdoorsy person. He wasn't an ethnologist. He wasn't interested in culture. He, he was basically just going around, going hunting, going canoe riding, and then he just bought artifacts like a crazy person. <laughs> 10,000 of them. Wow. 10,000 <laughs> artifacts he brought back. And uh, basically, there's like an entire basement filled with this stuff, and then there's like 60 of them in the exhibition. So... So basically, we just showed how he goes around. But what the game is actually talking about is the colonial history of Northwestern America. Well, this is actually Canada in, in, in that part. And how Western societies would arrive there, how they would change the local culture, how they would also disrespect and in parts also destroy the local culture. So it was basically like a uh, also a very, very critical game. It had a bit of a weird sense of humor that some people thought was inappropriate, but we had, uh, we, we talked to indigenous artists from, from North America and also indigenous game designers, and they were pretty happy with the game because we, we dealt with a serious topic in a kind of a light way, but we thought it was necessary because you cannot just have everything very, very heavy handed and serious in storytelling. Brings us nicely on to a game that want to talk about most of the game mm-hmm. that, shall we say, introduced me to you guys, which mm-hmm. is Path Out. Yeah. Um, so you talk about telling a serious story in a light or a comedic tone, and I think that this describes this game perfectly, in my opinion. First of all, for people who don't know about Path Out, uh, what is the story about the game, or what is the plot of the game? So Path Out is basically an autobiographical single-play experience in the style of Japanese role-playing games of the early 1990s. It tells the story of Abdullah Karam and his escape from the, the Syrian civil war. And I think what's a unique feature that needs to be mentioned is that Abdullah isn't just the person that you control, the person who's where you look at like the, his life before the war, how the war starts and how he escapes from the war and crosses over the border into Turkey. But Abdullah also appears in kind of YouTuber style video comments throughout the game. So he's basically there twice. He's there with you as the character, but then he's also the commenter, and he gives you different perspectives on on subjects. Like he underlines the emotional situation when he leaves, for example, the house of his parents for the last time. And then at the same time, there's also very very light-hearted and and, and sarcastic comments when he kind of. Uh, criticizes one his own game because uh, the a courtyard is being designed in a way that is might be considered a cliche of oriental architecture yes i, I remember actually yes <laughs> it certainly was you know very original the way he appeared and the way as he say he's commenting on his uh mm-hmm. on his own game and on the you know the, the graphics or things that appeared in the game um but how did you first hear about Abdullah's story? How did you first hear about Abdullah? Well, I mean, it's a very, very personal thing. Like we, I met Abdullah at a at the theater show where my wife worked uh, as a performance choreographer, and then he was 
basically fresh off the boat, uh, quote unquote, didn't arrive in a boat because it's a landlocked country. <laughs> so, uh, and he was like, yeah, well, hey, I want to do something creative. Uh, and then he gave me like a whole list of things he wanted to do. Like, uh, uh, he wanted to be a comedian. So I have no idea about comedy. Uh, it's a few bad jokes. He wanted to be an actor. It's like, yeah, actor. I, I, I know about acting. Let's not go there. And then he wanted to, to also be an illustrator and wanted to work in games. And then I was like, I know a guy. Uh, he's a, he's one of Austria's top illustrator, the, who's now a member of Cause Creations, Brian Main. Tell you what, show me what you have and I'll connect you to. And then he showed me, uh, the portfolio of his DeviantArt account. And you know, he was, when he's still young, uh, but he was like a kid at that point. So he just had this classical DeviantArt account, but it was pretty high quality and had a big following. Uh, it was mainly manga, mainly coloring, not too much line art, but really, really good coloring. And then Brian said, yeah, sure, I can teach Abdullah. So basically, Abdullah was in a situation where he was waiting for his asylum procedure, uh, which can take years. And during that time, he was an unofficial intern in our company, and we we taught him things, and we bought him equipment that he could use in order to progress. And then at one point, I was like, okay, now we're just throwing him kind of creative morsels from other project, and but I want to work with him more closely. And then we had breakfast, uh, Syrian breakfast, that is, at, at one day, and I was like, pretty spontaneously asking Abdullah, do you actually, do you feel like talking about your experiences? Do you feel like making a game about that? Would that be interesting for you? And he said, yes. <laughs> and this is how it began. And then uh, there was like a whole, I did some fundraising. I got some grants. So uh, we decided also on the scope of the project. We decided that we don't want to make something that is gigantic. We want to make something small and share it with the world and see how it goes. Yeah, and this, this is basically how we started then. And things got a little bit complicated because we didn't have a lot of money. And, and Abdullah had to, had to start uh, an education because his brother really wanted that as well. So basically the, the, the roles shifted around a bit, but he basically stayed on it in a kind of a storytelling and protagonist uh, role while me and the rest of the team basically worked on the nitty-gritty of the game. Sure, yeah. So you designed the game and he appeared... As well, you mentioned as well that he appears. Like, first of all, we play as Abdullah in the game, and then he also appears in, uh, you know, as a YouTube uh, videos, shall we say, or video form. Um, mm -hmm. He talks a little bit about that, but what made you think that that would really help the player experience, or well, why? When did you come up with an idea for him to appear in the game as well? That was actually uh, the, a result of an idea for marketing. So we talked about marketing, and then and then we we kind of almost joked about uh, that we have to promote the game by having it played by uh, friends of ours who are also refugees, and then they mm -hmm. comment on it. And then I was like, yeah, what? Well, why don't we just do that in the game? Why don't we have you comment on it while we play it? And uh, it's actually quite interesting that these kind of levels of like using real life video inside of uh, digital games that have another aesthetic, I'm always quite surprised how little that is used because the technology isn't very, very fancy. It's just like a small video player image, but this kind of mix of realities is, is apparently not too attractive for uh, 
other developers out there. So it it became something of a novelty, and we were quite surprised how much effect it had on people. I mean, we were anyway. We were like extremely surprised how well the game did because when we were finished with it, <laughs> I mean, it's that's a, a little personal, uh, but. It, we we were in a little bit of a strange tough spot while we made the game like i had like the real flu during Oof. the months of making the game and was com- a complete wreck and then our graphic designer he had like kidney stones oh no so when the game came out we were like we were like we were a total mess we were like oh god <laughs> like a, a flu in a game uh, i have to finish it and like oh no i'm so tired uh, i need a break let's just put it out and then and then anyway, we, we kind of, I'm quite happy that we didn't uh, throw it away because it, it, like, for some weird reason, like, uh, probably just bad luck. Everything kind of drained our energy. So when we threw out the game in, uh, in, as a first test version on the HIO platform in late June 2017, it was a bit like fire and forget. We did the usual thing. We did, we wrote a press release. We wrote to like a few colleagues and we said like, yeah, it's going to have like a, few downloads and maybe a nice article and then we move on to something else it's all good you know we'll make money with something else and And (laughs) exploded in our face uh and it was and and it's kind of still exploding sometimes not so much anymore but we were like really really surprised like how well received it was i mean it was on it was on main television news in saudi arabia wow (laughs) yeah yeah that was huge it was uh, crazy like the relatives of abdullah called him suddenly like oh i saw you on the news <laughs> and, and then but it was quite big in germany and austria as well and so and then basically that that kind of led to the idea to put the game also on steam which was a good move because then it could really reach a, a broader audience quote unquote of course still a, yes still a tiny project but i'm i'm happy that to this present day Probably hundreds of thousands of people have heard about the project, and tens of thousands of people have played the project. And that's and it's it's not a commercial success for us because we're not selling it, but we we got some money from prizes, we got some awards, we might even uh, work on a on on, on follow up version of that. But it, it had an impact, and that's the most important thing for us. It's kind of had an impact in the medium and it also had an impact in the political landscape somehow. Of course, yeah. No, it's a, as I you know mentioned, I think it does work with the YouTube video because you're playing the game, and uh, and then when he appears, you know, in these moments, you know, whether they're comedic moments or they're more mm. emotional moments when he's saying goodbye to his parents, that mm. it does hit home that this is a real person that he yeah. he went through this and he. He could be one of us, you know, like he's a kid growing up playing video games and all yeah. of a sudden war happens in his country yeah. and it, he's had no part whatsoever in it, you know, and yeah. he just wants to live his life. So it kind of hit home for me. So yeah. I'm, I'm delighted that it has been received so well. And, well, you know, when I was playing the game as well, I was so surprised with what Abdullah went through. You know, I don't want to spoil everything, but, mm. you know, he had to deal with, you know, with, with ISIS and with the Syrian soldiers and minefield you know like between he's between a rock and a and a minefield <laughs> and i was thinking mm. god and he's so young like if for, for me like problem is if i wake up and there's no milk or no cereal <laughs> but you know for what he had to go through you know 
and and still he seems to be positive, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I must also say, you know, like the this is this is the the part of the journey that he can leave behind and he can look back at it and say like, okay, that was a rough moment, uh, and I'm here and I'm safe right now. But and this is why I'm actually. I mean, it's it, it's hard to make this into a full commercial project, and we're uh, and, but we, we're still working on that. But but what I also want to want, want people to understand, and this is why why we're still working on the continuation of it, is that the hard part starts also when you're here. And Abdullah has been fairly lucky compared to other friends of ours. We have a good friend from Iraq. He arrived at the same time. He's still waiting. And, and, yes. the, and these people are sometimes in a, in a void for years. And even if you're lucky, like Abdullah and his brother, and you get a job and, and you develop a social life, there's, there's, there's so much, there's so much still that you have to process. There's so much, there's so much emotional struggle still. I mean, his parents are still in the Middle East. You know, they, they, they haven't had a chance to come here yet. And the, uh, and the atmosphere towards refugees and also the legal uh, opportunities for them to come here is becoming increasingly hard. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, I think this is, this is, to do like cross through a minefield is a very, very dangerous experience. But to, to kind of uh, be separated from your parents over a very long time, And to kind of have this emotional conflict, I, I think uh, um, maybe even even harder struggle. Mm -hmm. no, absolutely. I mean, I don't know exactly how it is, but I can imagine definitely yeah. even when he's just leaving Syria, shall we say, the first part yeah, yeah. of of the difficulty. So when you made the game, now the game, you know, is based on a real story and a very serious topic. But mm -hmm. also since it's a game, I imagine you want to make it, shall I say, well, entertaining or but yes. you know, fun to play. So, what were the challenges with that? You know, talking about such a serious topic, but making it into a game that, shall we say, mainstream media or people could play and and enjoy mm, <laughs> or, well, or experience. I think, I think the main advantage that we might have had, well, that that Syria is kind of the cultural background to this entire endeavor, and uh, Syrians uh, are very generous people, uh, which helps with the storytelling. And Syrians are also have a very particular sense of humor. And this is not something that I came up with. This is something that kind of emerged in the process. And I think if we would work with someone from a different culture, with a different cultural background, with a culture that has a different approach to humor, the story would be a completely different one. But this kind of humor, this eagerness to also entertain in a way, this is, this is something that really, really came from Abdullah and also uh, from his upbringing and, and of course also from his personality but that kind of created this very very particular lightness that very few people criticize like uh, which, which i which i find interesting like uh because it's, it's his culture it's his story like uh i understand you know like that you might criticize the director of a play but it's almost like seeing a documentary so like oh i didn't like how This person made a joke about the suicide of his father. Uh, <laughs> suicide of his father, not yours. So yeah, yeah, this is the person you know who lived through it. He's the one making the jokes. <laughs> yeah, and you know we and this is a coping mechanism. You know, like this is mm -hmm. not. And, and I know this from friends who come from the Balkan, who suffered as teenagers through a civil war in Croatia and Serbia and Bosnia, and they all have a stern sense of humor. It sometimes feels very radical to people from, I don't know, Denmark or Austria or Belgium, you know, like who have 
no idea what it means, you know, when your town gets shelled and when your school blows up and when there is like a, suddenly a sniper on the roof and he, he shoots into the supermarket where you're shopping at, you know, but people, people have to find coping mechanisms. And in that case, it is, it's, it's humor and it's, it's almost, almost sarcasm, um, that kind of tries to tell the story and kind of paint the environment. Uh, yeah, that's definitely true. Like, cause it's, you know, we mentioned you, I, I certainly don't know, you know, can't exactly how they, you know, went through that. As you say, with the school being blown up or I don't know how I would react, but were you surprised with his humor? Like, because if I probably met Abdullah, I might think with everything he's been through, did I have every reason to be, you know, serious and maybe a bit down because he's left his family, he's left his home, he's left his country. But at least after playing the game and just seeing the YouTube, videos he still seemed to keep his sense of humor did that surprise you in any way or well now that i know him no <laughs> <laughs> no but it's it's, it's, it's the, the, the syrians are amazing people like they are the ones that I, I got to know quite a few of them here and, and they're they have they have an incredible amount of energy and uh for them there is only one way and it's forward and and they are i think they they managed to develop a kind of a sense of like a, like a filter mechanisms in order to proceed forward because they had to kind of blend out particular parts of their life in order to function. I mean, just the political environment itself before the war was a complete nightmare and there were all these uh, incidents and uprisings and, and, and atrocities that happened over the last 40 years. So that alone would have is, would have been a complete soul wrecking for other people but the syrians just soldier on and this is this is their attitude you know like keep on going and aim high and uh dress very peculiar <laughs> this is by the way the, <laughs> this is the, the the biggest cultural gap is not religion or something it's just like i still don't understand why middle easterners dress and decorate their apartments the way they do <laughs> anyway, that's like that, that was like the, the biggest cultural gap we had Okay, yeah, no, it's, I think in the game it's mentioned as well about, as you, as you mentioned with the environment or with, I think when he mentions about the statue, which was a camel, and he said, there's no camels in Syria. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it changes to, to a cone. <laughs> yeah, but that, the, the, the camel joke is apparently like, uh, because apparently there is like really no camels whatsoever in Syria. Except for like uh, the one town where they had like more serious uh, tourists in Palmyra, and this is where they had like the camel ride for the tourists. <laughs> uh, but apart, apart from that, there was like no cameras whatsoever. And this is and it, again, you know, this, is, this might be very light, but in reality, that's also like a a big political thing, you know, because people in Austria, uh, for example, they see a Syrian, they think like, oh, he's He's a guy and he comes from a small village and they, they live in a hut and there's goats. But this is, this is absolutely mindless because, as uh, stupid, because these, most of the people here are from educated families from the cities. Otherwise, they would not have the money and the resources to come here. So we are dealing here with like really educated people. A lot of them have given up like a, a profitable businesses or like a good education opportunities. And uh, so we have real talent here. And, and of course, they had everything that we have here, maybe a little bit harder access to like the latest PS4 games. <laughs> Before award that is, of course. Sure, yeah. 
like I think I read somewhere a lot of a lot of them are you know doctors and dentists and teachers as well and yeah, yeah. that as you say have the money to be able to come over here and so then talking about the graphics of the game which for me was also very interesting because when I first saw the game it definitely it looks like a Japanese RPG was, was that intentional Yes, yes, very yeah. much. <clears throat> I mean, this is this is we, we we try to go for a look that would be doable at the uh, uh, and would allow us as well to reach the people in an emotional way. I mean, this is something that I also wanted to mention before. Mm-hmm. We kind of wanted to broaden the age limit for this. Like, we I have some early sketches that look much more serious, but when we looked at them, it was like, okay, wow, this is something that let's say a, a, an eight-year-old kid will not play because it's too serious. It's too grown mm-hmm. up, you know, it's it's not sugar-coated enough. But we wanted to have like like a sense of sugar-coating so that people would connect to the story easier and particularly also the young people were like, oh, okay, this is something nice and friendly, but you allow yourself to come closer to that because it looks nice, friendly, entertaining, cute, whatever, has this chibi aesthetic. But it, it hits home even harder, you know, when this little bobblehead ISIS soldier shows up, there's like this sense of friction in the graphics that we wanted to achieve. Like the horror of the reality of the war kind of being in friction with this kind of cute Japanese style graphics. So you mentioned uh, make an interesting point there that, you know, they look cute, you know, it looks like uh, maybe not the children's game. But then when I was playing it and then when the ISIS person appeared, it terrified me because we all know wh- what they look like now. Yeah. And- what they are capable of. Yeah. And I'm sure when Abdullah, you know, saw them, it was, you know, hundred or thousand times worse. But when I was playing the game in the comfort of my own home, and I was going like, laddie down, then I saw this, and I jumped up, and, oh my God. And then mm. I was very protective. I wanted, I was, I was controlling, I was like, no, go away, go away. No, no, leave him alone. Mm. And, um, and I just, and I found that, you know, very interesting that it kind of maybe sit up then, you know, thinking, okay, this is serious now. This is, I have to, you know, have, help Abdullah get away from these people. And so then, with, with uh, I believe there was uh, some Syrian art as well that's in the game. Was that from Abdullah? Did he have, you know, obviously a big part to play in with uh, putting the Syrian art into the game? Um, so basically, Abdullah uh, worked a lot together with me on the story, and he also worked on some of the illustration and the key visuals. So he was basically uh, helping us select a lot of the art and work on some of the character. So in a, in a way, he was like a junior art director, but because the actual work of painting all the pixels is a very tedious job that needs some handicraft, uh, Brian Main did a lot of that in the end. So Abdullah did some conceptual work there. He did some work on the illustration, on the key visual, and he basically helped us develop kind of the the, the feeling of the graphics and then the groundwork was basically done by us, which was also due to the fact that he was doing his education. So in the beginning, uh, there was a plan that he does all the graphics and I do all the design, the game design. But that changed when brother said, like, you have to do an education, which at the end of the day was a good decision. <laughs> okay. <laughs> almost done with it right now. Yeah, but school somehow got into the way, but I think it's it, it was an important decision as well. Okay, yeah. And uh, I forgot to mention as well, like before we see Abdullah leaving his family and trying to escape Syria, what I liked about the game as well, it doesn't just put you there. You We get to know 
his life before all that happened, mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the war. With was was that intentional? Like, as well, did he decide to put that in early on just to get us to know the character and his family? Yeah, I mean, there was a there, there was a couple of decisions on that. I mean, I, I didn't want to kind of start, and this is something that like a few games do that address this kind of topic. I wanted to have a little bit more of a complex time structure in that. This is why you basically jump first into 2015 and back to 2011 and then back into 2014. <clears throat> I wanted to have more complexity in telling the game there. And what was really important for me is that everyone I met that ever was to Syria <clears throat> was particularly heartbroken about the war, not just because it was a war, but because Syria, before the war, I mean, it was an autocratic dictatorship and it had a lot of problems, but it was also probably one of the most marvelous countries in the Middle East. And this country will never, ever come back again. So I did did want to show, uh, you know, like this wonderful oriental courtyard, although Abdullah didn't live in such a building, I wanted to show like a glimpse of this, of of the the greatness of of, of Syria, at least so people get a little bit of a feeling what was lost when the war broke out. And then you, you play the level again, and then you see how it changed and uh, how the fountain runs dry and how the trees dead and suddenly there's not like a fancy street anymore, but it's like tanks and there's ex- explosions happen there. So, so that was really, really important for us to actually show like, hey, this this was a was not an unproblematic place, but it was still like a, like a, a magical in its own sense. Yeah, no, that's the sense that I got that, uh, you know, as you said, it was, you know, not perfect, but at least, you know, you sh- we could see that he lived, you know, like he was basically like us, you know, he's living his life and it wasn't just him in this situation, this conflict. So mm-hmm. we get a sense. And I learned from the game as well that you get to meet some of the neighbors that uh, yeah. there is. <laughs> and there's some neighbors, I think we got to see both sides. We got to, I think there was a girl whose husband was a soldier. And then there was a man who, uh, now I don't, don't know it, but I, I think he, from what, when I first saw him, I thought, oh, he's evil. And he wanted you to spy on the neighbors. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah so, so basically, these, these are, these, these, that's, that's not actually a, like a direct documentary aspect. So this, those neighbors didn't exist like that they weren't real people but they more represent aspects sure. of the life there and one of them is of course you know like of course there were people who were loyal to the regime like this woman whose man was in the military if you pay very very close attention her enthusiasm is a little bit more broken because her husband is has been fighting on some front for a longer time and she hasn't seen him so there is there is doubt in her as well and then the, the weird neighbor uh, which almost is kind of this lynchian aspect we might have overdone it here a little bit with this scene but uh, I still I still uh, bet that that's actually down to humor he's actually representing the kind of very very deep penetration of the state into the civil society through the means of a kind of a spy system I think there's few countries on earth where if you compare Syria before the war to, to other places where there was such a insane percentage of informants in the population. It's almost like East Germany, like the like the GDR and their their Stasi, you know, like there were so many informers and you never knew well, sometimes you knew 
And it's because you, you knew that maybe this uncle works for the government, so maybe you can pay him something in order to get something. But then there were also people writing reports and people spying on their fellow citizens. And that was a dangerous thing. And this is why politics, that was uh, reserved to talk in the kitchen in a careful way. You couldn't mm-hmm. just talk, uh, uh, voice your, your, your frustration to everyone in the street that might have grave consequences. Sure, yeah. No, I think that was represented well there, at least with, with his character. And now you mentioned again about uh, the politics. Again, another thing I like about the game is that even though, of course, it is based in a real situation and it's political, but then it's mostly a human story. So I think we all know or we have some idea about the politics behind it and the you know the mess that it is now. But here it just focuses on the human, on, on Abdullah and his his life mm-hmm. and his and his escape. Uh, but that was was that always the intention again in the in the game to focus on him? Yes, yes, very very much so. I mean, uh, we we are also working on another uh, political game uh, where we basically already also published fragment that is called The Fallen. Uh, it's also on our itch.io page. And uh, the, the Fallen basically, I'm, I'm just mentioning it right now because it addresses politics in a completely different way. It takes like super serious, no nonsense, no humor, like geopolitical dramas and lets you experience them in a very, very brutal way. The, the idea with uh, with Pathor was basically completely the opposite. We wanted to tell the story through a person. We wanted to tell an autobiographical story, and we wanted to have Abdullah in the center of that so that people could identify with him. I mean, I, of course, you, should, you could show the war and all the drama in a completely different way, but Abdullah was supposed to be an Yemenese. He was put in the, in, the, in the center of that because for us it was really, really important to have like an identification figure. And this is also, by the way, why even in our uh, press text, we kept on insisting on the fact that Abdullah is a gamer. Mm-hmm. So, yes. like, so because, you know, we, we we didn't want to show, okay, here's a story of a refugee. Like, of course, he's a refugee. We don't need to, you know, to mention that. But hey, you, are, you, you play computer games, and here's a story of another person who plays computer games. Just like you, mm-hmm. he plays Counter-Strike, he plays Grand Theft Auto. Why don't you have a look of, of what he made and how he talks about his life? So uh, to to also reach out to that particular kind of of uh, gamer demographic, uh, and this is, I think, also the reason why we didn't get trashed too much by the usual trolls and mm. by the usual gamergate or whatnot crowd because people had some sort of as some sort of, I don't know, like a reservation, you know, because, hey, here's another guy who plays Counter-Strike. Like, why would I want to trash his game? Exactly. Yes, yeah, so it's a guy like us, you know, why? Yeah, and why the, game we... is not, the game is not preachy, you know, like, uh, it's yes. really, really not preachy. Like, uh, that's, that's one thing I'm proud about. Absolutely, that's what I noticed as well when playing. That's one thing that I, you know, liked about it. And so then in, in terms of gameplay then, so he said it looks like a Japanese or, RPG. Uh, how do you describe the gameplay uh, in the game? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty straightforward adventure game, uh, and we kept it fairly accessible and fairly easy. That's obviously for like a hardcore adventure game players, it's not a challenge. But sure. uh, it would be a little bit absurd if that would be the goal to make that in like a super, super complicated nested quest that kind of fold into each other. 
because they would kind of they would stand in the way of the story. And for us, it's an interactive experience. It should kind of uh, keep you entertained, but it should stay accessible also to younger people, also to people who might not be so much into the adventure games uh, story to start with. And this is why it was kept really light in a sense and very uh, accessible in that as well. So yeah, it's it, it tells you the story. It puts you on different quests. There's the obstacles that you have to overcome. Some of them are a little bit more kind of puzzle-like. Some are more... I mean, there's like a few challenges that are a little bit more on the uh, stealth and skill side. But uh, all in all, that's basically just a carrier uh, for the story and for Abdullah uh, and, and for, for his presence through, throughout the game. So it's just a means to an end in order to forward the story. Okay, yeah. No, definitely. I think, as he said, it's, uh, even people who don't usually play adventure games, I think they could still play this and enjoy yeah. it. And I just want to talk very briefly about the music, which I found interesting. I mentioned on the Steam page that there are Oriental influences by Wobbler Sound. Uh, so who, oh, yeah. who are... Who are Wobbler Sound? What can you tell us about them? Wobbler Sound are a very, very gifted game audio studio from Vienna. They're quite curious because they're not just musicians, but they're also programmers. So they're extremely good with audio integration. Uh, that said, we were so lo-fi with this project that uh, there was no need for that as well. They've been working on uh, with us on many, many projects in, in the last years. We wanted to develop something that would fit the RPG theme. So... Obviously, uh, we kind of went through the the old uh, 1990s Final Fantasy VII and whatnot uh, sound archives and listened to a lot of that. And then we looked how we could twist it a little bit more into the Syrian way without that becoming too strong of a cliché. And basically, the benchmark test that always is like playing it to Abdullah and uh, asking Abdullah how he felt about this and how he, if he would kind of find that acceptable in the game and we try to keep a fine balance here not to have the, the design of a committee but we have to try to have a balanced process to just get the the right kind of audio into the game and uh, yeah I, I think with, uh, with with wobbler sound we were pretty pretty lucky because i think they did a great job very atmospheric and it also it bridges this uh, oriental themes but also the the jrpg style pretty well you know you spoke uh, then very briefly about how you didn't expect this game to be so so huge. So so overall, the the reaction was bigger and better than you expected, correct? When you first released this game on itch.io, it you know it, it was the the reaction. You didn't expect this game to last as long. No, uh, like it it, uh, it it won a couple of awards, and uh, so for, for us that was actually pretty big. Uh, and then we made the Steam version as well, and uh, so. For for us, I, th I think the surprise was how it echoed basically through the game design scene as well, because it won also award at pretty big uh, events like the uh, reboot developed. It won the so-called special games award, and then the other thing was that it won like ten or twelve awards. I kind of lost track even uh, by now. <laughs> there was a lot of professional interest and for us that that was really really uh, surprising that said uh, we in an ideal world we would have hoped for the game to be picked up by a publisher so we could make like a big version out of it but i think we are living in a little bit 
difficult times here because there are so many great games out there and there's uh, so many great uh, people making games. So we were lucky, but we were not that lucky. <laughs> but yeah, this is we've well, been it's a start. <laughs> it's a start. It's a start, and um, I'm sure we can make interesting follow-up projects as well. Like we've we, we've come pretty pretty far with a project that had like a uh, one. <laughs> I must also mention that one a ridiculously low budget. Sure. No, I think uh, you know, you know, definitely. Even though it has a small budget, it still shines. True, as you said, it got uh, you know great reaction. So you yeah. never know. Maybe in the future it'll be picked up. So you mentioned Dan, you, uh, if you were picked up by a publisher, would you like to redesign the game in any way, or just keep it the way it is? Yeah, I, I think if you take it serious as a game and the way how it's supposed to be designed, in order to really, really reach like a broad demographic. I think the JRPG style was cool and necessary at that point because it allowed us to work with the kind of style that we were able to do. But if you want to make this like a commercial game that really, really reaches like more than those tens of thousands, but like hundreds of thousands of people, you basically need to create an art style that goes beyond that. And uh, so 2.5D, different engine, much more visual bling, not so much of the rate for Sean, but create kind of a unique 2D style, which could still work with uh, the elements of the videos. When we've been doing some experiments with that, like we did some uh, we did some screen tests with that, and we're actually still talking to like a few interested potential parties. But it's clear if we if we are going to uh, continue this project, it will look different in the next iteration. It will look. Uh, it will have a completely uh, a more modern look, and it will not have this retro component anymore. Okay, yes. Yeah, so you are in discussions with interested parties. Well, hopefully, uh, can be picked up. And have you? Yeah. Yeah. And have you considered? And uh, I asked other game developers this. Um, have you considered maybe going to Kickstarter or Indiegogo, or is that something you'd prefer to avoid maybe uh, in future? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's actually an interesting question. Uh, I mean, we are now doing a Kickstarter for a completely other project that we are working on, that we are, we are preparing that right now. It's actually for a card game. I am hugely skeptical of digital game Kickstarters because sure, digital yeah. games are so expensive. And even making a Kickstarter yourself is a very expensive undertaking. So if I would do a Kickstarter, I would only do it in the context of an already funded project as a means to promote a game. I mean, there's a couple of people who've done, who've done very, very, very good Kickstarters in that respect. For example, I think it was Boyfriend Dungeons. Yeah, it was Boyfriend Dungeons by Kitfox Games. They did a great Kickstarter. But when I read how they prepared for it, I was like, oh wow, okay, this is, at, at that, at that point in time, you have to be so full on about Kickstarter. So you basically need already, the budget that we had to make the entire game in order to launch such a Kickstarter. And this is, and, and I, I think this is something that, that we wouldn't be ready now. Like to come out of the blue with a game like this, mm. we might not get the means that we want to have in order to really make the game. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point because other developers I spoke to, you know, some were, you know, very positive about it, said it really helped them make their game, but others said the same that you did, that they would only use it if the game was, already nearly finished or nearly funded yeah. and they mentioned that 
Kickstarter itself is like a full-time job all by itself. Yes. I think so, it's great for solo developers. There's a, <coughs> a friend of ours from, uh, from London, um, James Patton. He works on a crazy game, uh, which is kind of a cyberpunk, uh, simulation game about evil corporations. He did a Kickstarter and for him it worked really, really well. He came out of the blue, but he, he, he needed really little and everything he got to use is on himself. But if you have mm-hmm. a company, if you have several people, sure. the money just, yeah, the money just evaporates. And then if you come out of nowhere, uh, it's kind of hard. I mean, uh, Alexis Kennedy did a successful Kickstarter with Carter Simulator, but he is the man who made Fall in London and Sunk and Sea and mm-hmm. all these games. So he has a huge following already. And uh, sure. so same with Boyfriend Dungeon and uh, Kitfox games. They had successful projects before, but I think for us. We would need like very particular circumstances in order to work with crowdfunding. That's fair enough then. So this game part out, it's, it's episode one. Is that correct? Yes. So then, uh, what plans do you have with this game? So if you have a publisher, we don't have a publisher. If you don't have a publisher, would you still continue to make future episodes and see how it goes from there? Or are you still waiting to, to get a publisher to maybe remake the game? Or, or do you, uh, or this is, yeah, right. this, this, if you this, don't want this, to answer, that's okay as well. No, like I, I actually can't answer that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not uh, able to that. <laughs> but it's uh, no, no, it's it's it, it's a difficult question, like because from an emotional uh, um, point of view, like I would love to make the game, and because I think it's very necessary to make the game. Yes. But at the same time, uh, like it's we 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 put so much energy into the the project already. And uh, I, I've seen a lot of projects fail in the last years where people went uh, like poor two, three years of their life into a project and then they just put it out, did some marketing, but they had no publisher behind them. Mm. And for, for me, it's, it's not just about the money. Like the money, I'm semi-optimistic that it could be financed so that we have money to make it. But the problem that I see is the marketing and we have such a big visibility problem. Uh, so basically, I think in order to the, the game deserves a publisher, mm-hmm. if it should continue, it deserves a broad public, and that is something that you need a publisher for, a, a good publisher that is. And this is this is why this is a little bit for more kind of a, a mile a milestone condition, and this is we are. We are somehow undivided on that right now. The game has been out for a year. It's gone through some iterations. We did some experiments. Uh, we developed some technology which we already dumped, but we haven't really, really moved forward to uh, project number two yet because we are still kind of stuck in that decision-making phase as well. Okay. And so what can we do? So like people like me, like game players, if... Uh, you know, if you don't go through Kickstarter or anything, but what what can we still do to help you move forward with the game or get a publisher? Is there anything we can do at all to help get the word out? Yes, of course. Okay. You can play the game. You can read, uh, leave us a review on Steam. You can leave a comment on social media. You can show it to other people. You know, for example, you know someone from an NGO. Show them the game. Uh, you know someone who is extremely rich and powerful and have millions to lose, show them the game. You are rich and powerful yourself. 
Send us your money. We'll make the game sure. for you. I'll, I'll get right on that. I'll get in touch with the rich people that I know. Yes. One of these uh, famous Irish tigers. Uh, <laughs> Celtic tigers. It's these Google people that you have over there. I'll, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> no, like, like seriously, the, the most important thing is mm-hmm. if people play the game, and thank you very much, by the way, I already saw that you left a review Leaving yes, a video for yes. us on Steam is really, really important because the fact that we uh, actually talked already to uh, had interested publishers approaching us was to the fact that we are currently holding a, a review score of 96% on Steam. Uh, as I said, with like tens of thousands of downloads, and that's pretty, pretty high. So, that's good. yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And this is, this was, I would say, it's kind of the fan base for the game. And if the game would continue, that is kind of the foundation that we are kind of building this on. Uh, it's just like with making games, and it's, there's no there's no fast project here. Like I don't sure. I, I don't know anyone in in my vicinity that has kind of uh, pulled out a project out of his head that was successful in a very short amount of time. So this still might be like a slow labor uh, in order to progress that. Of course, well, as we say, good things come to those who wait, so I think yes. it will be worth it. Yeah. And so you mentioned it's on Steam and it's on itch.io. Yes. Uh, is there anywhere else that it's available or you plan on making it available? Have you tried with maybe GOG.com or anywhere else? Uh, GOG, or... we actually talked about, talked to them a couple of years ago when we made Totem Sound. GOG has no interest in free games. Uh, okay. Uh, they're a little bit different, like Steam. We also have it on a smaller platforms like Game Jolt. But yeah, so far it's it's on itch.io, which is uh, really our, our favorite platform. Okay. And uh, there it has been doing quite well. By the way, like of course people can donate for the game, but can only do it on itch.io because uh, I think Steam did allow it a couple of years ago, but that feature doesn't exist anymore. Like, uh, oh, that's a shame. Pay what you want doesn't exist anymore. It's they're not really into this kind of business. Okay, so yeah, leave us a video on Steam uh, or, or donate money on HIO or just leave us a nice comment on Twitter and other social media platforms. Okay, sure, yeah. And so and did you plan on maybe releasing it on well, if you can, I know that there's challenges, but on tablets or mobiles as well. Is there any plans or would you like to do that in future? Yes indeed. So like uh, we are currently actually also looking into mobile, uh but yeah, so there's a again, like if we would go for the mobile version, it would be definitely with new technologies and a new style. Because I think you need to reach out to like a, a the, the, like a really really broad public and uh, mobile is a little bit more uh, commercial in that respect so we don't want to kind of hide it in this cute retro indie hole but we want to give it a, an audience that is as broad as possible this is why we have this whole restyling debate and efforts going on right now as well but yeah I mean these days you have to try as many challenge, as many channels as possible you have to do mobile, you have to do consoles, you have to do, uh, of course, uh, PC. Of course, um, yes. We also, but maybe we'll do a card game one day, who knows? But oh, without that... video comments, I think. <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting. And then it's, it's in English at the moment, yes? It's, it's uh, in any other languages, or do you, do you intend on having it in different languages? Yeah, it's a bit of a tragic story. I mean, we, <clears throat> we have a, a, like a tool for localization, but we currently have a few bugs, but they are not connected to us, but they are connected to the um, 
to the web technology that we are using. Uh, so that kind of uh, prevents us from deploying in other languages. Yeah, so basically that's a bit of a dead end situation we are here with that, that we have it right now. But uh, if we kind of uh, relaunch the game, we actually have uh, like a few languages already at the go. It would certainly be Japanese, Spanish, uh, German, Polish, and yeah, well, possibly also French, I'd say, and Russian and Portuguese. So those are the languages that we are currently looking at. Okay, well, hopefully. And, um, and oh, excuse me, and of course uh, Chinese, Chinese, very important. Okay, wow, well, well, so a lot of languages already could reach a lot of people if, uh, yeah. if <laughs> we could get those languages. Uh, thank you for that. Before before we go, you mentioned that you were working on another game, this political game. Um, what what can you tell us about that before we finish? Well, the form is basically my uh, attempt at being like a experimental Polish filmmaker from the 1970s. Uh, no, it's a bit of a Stupid joke. Uh, so now this is a, this is a long term project of mine. That is a game that talks about the nature of war through various vignettes that are placed like really really far away, both in geography and time. And it uses different means of gaming mechanics in order to tell stories from wars. And uh, the fall is basically like a first tryout uh, from this, but there is other chapters being planned. But this is kind of a long, 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 long-term project uh, that runs in the background. But it's definitely something... Uh, I try to finish all the projects that I'm starting. So uh, I think it will come out in 2026. Yeah, wow! Yeah. <laughs> so we have a while to wait. <laughs> yeah, we have a while to wait. We'll 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 work on a new chapter in in three weeks. So uh, it's 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 growing so, slowly, slowly. So th- that game you expect to be released in 2026? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so will will more information about that game be online on your website then when when well, you have the, information? The the, the fall is already fully playable. It's basically like a ten minute oh, it fragment. Is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a ten minute fragment. It was even nominated for a prize, despite being in like a really rough home. It's uh, nominated for the main prize at the Amaze Awards. And it's kind of a it's a narrative experience that tells you about the soldiers who fought and died in the Ukrainian civil war. Go and wow. play it because it's radically different from Pathout, but it's still close to it at the same time. And where, where can we find where where can we play this game? Do you have it, the link or I, yes, I can put it up on? It's also on our page, uh, causacreations.itch.io. So now causacreations.itch.io page, you can find it. By the way, this is a project that we're doing together with uh, Gold Extra, which is uh, kind of our partner company. It's more of an art collective that I'm also part of, and they are basically like the driving force between the fall and I'm the designer for it. And, Cause of creation is almost like the tries to uh, make the commercial version of that. So yeah, this is okay. uh, basically I, this is also like something that I have to mention. Uh, sometimes we have too many ideas <laughs> because there's even other projects that I haven't mentioned yet that might also be interesting. But we have so many ideas and we have a the kind of good in creating opportunities to make these ideas functioning in a commercial way so that we have money uh, to work on it. But what we don't have is this one big project that is kind of the center of all of our attention. Okay, this well, that might lot, happen. A lot of smaller different things that we are working on, uh, so uh, and sometimes they're a little bit in the way of each other even. Sure, yeah. Stuff going on. 
Okay, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'll be sure to check out The Fallen Den as well. Mm-hmm. And I definitely urge people to to play Pat out because I said I think it is an important game to, for people to play and for people to experience to help you guys and Abdullah tell his story. And uh, because it's very original for adventure games, but I think it's a story that probably needs to be told, especially in this day mm-hmm. and age. Yeah, to, I think so too. You know, to, to also like humanize it. Like it's, you know, we, we get to know Abdullah. It's not just a story about, as I mentioned, a refugee story about a gamer or about a person, mm-hmm. about a young kid who had to escape his home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so where can people find you online then? You can find me on Twitter. This is probably where I'm like at my most active and personal as well. Uh, under the handle Mercury Lekba. And we also have the Cause of Creations. It's also on Twitter. But it's a little bit more official and a little bit more slow. So if you want to talk to me directly, at uh, Mercury Lekba is my Twitter handle. Okay, and then the website is, you mentioned causacreations.itch.io. Uh, we have a regular website, causacreations.net, and uh, our itch.io games are at causacreations.itch.io. Okay, but then there are more games on .net? <laughs> there, there, there's like a few other projects. There's like a few non-game-related projects. Uh, oh my god, we did so many things in the last years. <laughs> we, did like a, we did like a few interactive art projects as well, and uh, we did like a theater piece, and a text adventure, and a... Uh, and the game and the, and, the, and the kind of a visualization transmedia project with the with the opposition radio from Belarus and all of that material is on causecreations.net. Uh, um, it's a little bit work in progress right now because we are we will relaunch that as well, so it might be like a, a wee bit messy, but everything is on there. Everything's there. Okay, yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about all your projects, but maybe it's, maybe in the future. Some yes, future points. Yes. I will maybe uh, come back and talk about the form. <laughs> yeah, this. absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much, Dan. Uh, so before we finish, uh, I'll hand it over to you. Do you have any last thoughts or anything else you'd like to say to either gamers or publishers or anybody else who might be listening to this? So play, play the game. Play the game and and try to keep an open mind what games could be. You know, look at the work uh, of like uh, experiment experimental makers, uh, also like Mola Industria and Tale of Tales and, and other pioneers. And I think games have so much to offer if we kind of move away a little bit from the big games. Like, uh, and so if you if if, if you just if you just spend sync like hundreds and hundreds of hours into Red Dead Redemption 2, you might miss out on like a few gems. You know, sometimes 10 hours of grind less and try to invest those 10 hours into like uh, playing 10 different games, especially from platforms of itch.io. It could be really, really worth your time. Okay, well, I'll include all the links in the show notes and in the website as well. So thank you very much, Dan Georg, for joining me. It was a real pleasure. I really had a great time and I've learned a lot. Yeah, um, no, it was really, really thanks, thanks for the opportunity. So that was my conversation with Georg Hubmeier. I hope you enjoyed it. A huge thank you to Georg for speaking to me initially a few years ago, and I hope people enjoyed this conversation. And as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I would really recommend people to check out the game. If you've no interest in video games, it does give some insight into what it must have been like for Abdullah to have to escape um, his country uh, during the Civil War. And it does a great job of portraying him as a normal person as well. Um, and uh, so I really check, recommend people check it out. The links will be in the show notes and the game is available for free online as well. So 
Uh, so that is it for this week. If you want to help this podcast, you can first of all subscribe uh, to get all episodes automatically. You can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Georgia Speaks With. And you can rate in the different places there and follow the instructions there as well if you so wish. And if you want to become a guest on this podcast, you can uh, do so by going to shortespeakswith.com forward slash be my guest. And again, the link will be in the show notes. And next week, I am joined by author Lee Jackson. So uh, please join me then. Uh, in the meantime, take care, everyone. Goodbye.